Well, welcome everyone. Glad that you are here. We are in the second to last week of this series that we've called The Fine Lines, helping us to navigate all of life's relationships. Hopefully it's been filled with some some good moments for you, some exciting ones, maybe not too many challenging ones, but then again, it's good to be challenged because we can all grow in our relational health and well-being. Gary Chapman, years ago, wrote this book about five dominant love languages in which human beings would exchange love. They would give love and they would receive love, okay? We're going to do kind of an overview of these things, so if you know what they are, please play along. The first one we're going to talk about is time spent, time spent. That means a person that craves time spent, they have this love language inside of them. They want a shared experience or time together with a person. It doesn't have to be like hours and hours and hours. Maybe it's quality time over quantity time, depending on your spectrum and where you're at in that particular love language. Then you've got words, words of affirmation, encouragement. So whether you are somebody that gives these or somebody that craves receiving these in various expressions, I mean, we're we're gearing up to Valentine's Day this week, and my oh my, if you miss somebody in your life that craves words of affirmation and you don't happen to say, I love you, you're going to be navigating a relationship, interestingly, for the rest of this month. I'm just saying, putting that out there, okay? Then we've got physical touch. This is where the serial huggers love to play. I have met some folks that, like, for the very first time, the very first time they're being introduced to me or me to them in whatever expression, and then they lean in for a hug. They are somebody that craves physical touch. They're also somebody to be avoided at all costs. (laughs) Right? Some of you are like, no, I'm one of those. Exactly. I I get scared when I say that from stage because I know afterwards there's going to be a handful of you that track me down. One of our young adults last time picked me up and swung me around like I was a little toy. It was amazing. I slashed his tires, so it was good. Then we've got gifts. Gifts. We love to give a gift to somebody. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. I was just thinking of you and I got this for you. And it's fun. When you're a gift giver, it's great because you find, you know, this, you're in a thrift store and you find something that reminds you about this person and then you go to give it to them. If they're not a gift person, they're like, what am I going to do with this trinket? Right? But they're giving you an expression of their love. They're trying to help establish and navigate all the relationships. Now, if you've been paying attention, and if you know all five of the love languages, I've left out one. Which is it? Acts of service. Thank you very much. Acts of service. People that do things for you. Doesn't that sound like a great concept? We have all vocational careers for the rich folks that do this. They have maids and butlers people doing things for them. But that is an expression of love. We give and receive all these things. Now, each one of us is a blend of these love languages. We have a natural preference or leaning towards one in the way that we demonstrate our love to people and a natural preference in how we receive love from other people. And it's important to know some of these things because this will help us navigate relationships. Because sometimes our dominant love language is not translated in the way we wish it would be. 
We're going to be talking about one of these in an in-depth way. We're going to be talking about encouragement or something that I like to call affectionately the Jonathan effect. We're going to look at a relationship from Scripture between two men, David and, you guessed it, Jonathan. And we're going to look at their love for one another and how they learned to navigate all the relational tensions that their relationship caused and could have caused around just being connected as friends. So if you got a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18, and we're reading the first four verses. And here's what you need to know about this relationship between these two dudes. It is a long, full-drawn-out, complicated connection. So I'm going to be reading two snapshots and filling in the blank spaces with some other things that is good to be aware of as we dig further into this together. So 1 Samuel chapter 18 is going to be on screen. And if you want to go to the YouVersion Bible app and the events section and the more section, you can click on the C-Road Live and get all of this info right there at your fingertips as well. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed that pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. It's the first kind of instance of where this relationship that's starting to blossom and bloom, this friendship that's starting to form. Yell out at me, which love, language do, love languages do you see at play here in these four verses? Gifts. Who's giving, who's giving the gifts? Jonathan's giving gifts to David. He's giving him what? His robe, his tunic, his bow. You know what these are? They're symbols of Jonathan's authority. He was, a, he was a prince. He was next in line to inherit the king from his father, Saul. Now what we didn't read about in this particular instance is David has been anointed by the prophet of God as the next king. Traditionally, how kingdoms get passed on unless there's some sort of conflict involved. And if you look at human history, there's a lot of conflict involved. Traditionally, how kingdoms are passed on are from the king or queen to their firstborn child. A lot of times, it was the firstborn male child. And then in different, different kind of hierarchies and stuff like that, um, they would include women in that space. And so sometimes that happened in the UK, right? Queen Elizabeth inherited the throne from her father. Now it's passed on to King Charles. And so it passes on from one generation to the next. And in this instant, the first time they meet each other, this guy, David, should have been a threat to Jonathan. Instead, he is greeted with love. And all the symbols of what it means to be a prince of Israel at the time are offered in friendship and love to David by Jonathan. It's a big demonstration of what true love is all about. Laying down our power, laying down our privilege, and serving one another for who we are as people. What other love languages are present in those four brief verses that you saw? Gifts? Anything else? Words is one. He makes an oath. 
An oath. And so an oath was a promise, a big weighted promise. Jonathan makes this promise to David and then seals it with these gifts. My guess is the promise had something to do with like, hey, we aren't going to be rivals. We're not going to compete for the same power of position because I know that God has already gifted it to you. Their relationship gets more convoluted and more complicated as we go on because, of course, King Saul, Jonathan's father, knows that David has been anointed as the next king, and guess what? He doesn't want to give up his position of authority that easily. So he keeps, you've heard the phrase, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. That's Saul's motivation here for keeping David close to him. He's not going to send him back home so he can generate his own army and his own movement that will overthrow him. What he's going to do is he's going to keep him under wraps, right where he can see him, right where he can manipulate him, right where he can hopefully suppress the movement so that his position and his authority aren't threatened. That's the kind of relationship that these two young guys have around what's happening in their world. In fact, what happens is is Saul starts to get jealous. The community starts to recognize David's anointing, his gift mix, and his actual, his actual like passion for leadership. They start singing songs, and one of the phrases that they start using is, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. The epitome of power in that day and age was your military prowess. And the community was starting to recognize that, yo, you know, our King Saul, he's been great and all that, but there's this up-and-coming individual that is ten times better than him. Can you imagine the relational strain that Saul would have been experiencing in a moment like that? It's like being a pastor and a preacher and, and, and giving God's word, and then somebody comes along and is like, man, have you heard this guy online? They're a great communicator. It happens all the time. And I'm okay with that, actually, because I know that God has gifted many people to communicate. All that I can do is work within my boundaries, my framework, my gift mix. And you know what's awesome? When Pastor Daniel or Desiree or Chuck or Jamie or a guest speaker get up on this platform and absolutely crush it, they nail it and they preach something that moves the community. I jump for joy. I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want to suppress. I want to celebrate when God is moving in the lives of people. That's what the gift of encouragement is all about. It's enhancing and fanning into flame what is going on around you and not diminishing it in any way, shape, or form. And it's a tension because our human side wants to keep what we have. Saul wanted to keep his position as king. And as we find out and you go comb through the, the... you know, details of the relationship moving forward, you're going to see more and more challenging things that emerge. Jonathan's sister gets a crush on David and they want to be married. That's a challenge. It's like some of you who have married children and are like, I'm not sure I really love their in-law. It's a tension. We've got to navigate. It gets to this point where Saul threatens to kill David. He's so passionate about securing 
his own territory that he wants to get rid of the problem. And at one point in time, he literally takes a spear and throws it at David's head. So if you, do, if you were unsure that the king was disappointed with you in the moment, I think that would be a signal that there's something wrong in your relationship. And the scene where that happened, you know, Saul was tormented and he couldn't sleep much. And so David was sent in. He was not only a gifted military leader, gifted leader in general, a people person. He was also a musician. And so he's sent in to play the harp. Like there was like almost nothing he couldn't do well. To play the harp and calm Saul. And so what does Saul do? Like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're a sitting goose right here. Whoo, you know, chuck that thing right at David trying to kill him, kill his rival, so to speak. Eliminate the threat. All throughout this, Jonathan is seeing the great evolving tension between his father and his friend. And it culminates to another moment in time, chapter 20, these first four verses. It says this, David now fled from Nioi. I don't even know how to say that. From some town with the letter N. Naoth, maybe, in Ramah, and found Jonathan. What have I done, he exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? And Jonathan protests. This is fun. That's not true, Jonathan protested, like as if the spear in the wall means anything else. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. It gets this moment where, where David doesn't know where to go. He's he literally in hiding, and his best friend, who's also the son of his greatest rival, his enemy, doesn't believe that he's in this position where everything is being threatened. So they have this intimate moment, this, this kind of come to Jesus, real time, raw conversation. Where David says, yo, your dad is trying to kill me. Jonathan refuses to believe it. But because of the friendship, because of the friendship, because of their bond, because of their relationship, he's willing to entertain the idea that his friend might be at risk. From this moment on, what, what happens is they concoct this scheme where if Saul responds to this kind of set of circumstances in a certain way, what Jonathan is going to do is take that as a cue that, that either Saul is trying to kill David or Saul isn't going to kill David. It involves not showing up for dinner. Okay, if you don't show up for dinner, we're going to see how agitated he gets. If he just you know, sloughs it off, not a big deal. But if he gets really passionately angry, it's because he has planned to kill me at that dinner. Sure enough, guess what happens? Dinner comes. Saul is losing his mind that David isn't around. 
They come up with the scheme and it evolves further and it's like, okay, if that happens, what I want you to do is I want you to go hide in the field. And what I'm going to do, Jonathan says this to David, is I'm going to pretend that I'm target practicing with my bow and arrow and I'm going to shoot arrows out further. And if you hear me yell to my servant, the person that does things for me as an act of service, an expression of love, if I yell to them this certain phrase, you need to know that you better run for your life. And that's exactly what happens. And Jonathan shoots these arrows out knowing that his dad is trying to eliminate his best friend. And they have this moment before David leaves that environment and that space temporarily. And they embrace each other and they celebrate their friendship and they weep. And they weep because Saul just cannot see that he's a roadblock to what God wants to do in the community. Sometimes if we're honest, in our interaction with people, we function more as a roadblock than we do as an advocate, than we do as an ambassador, than we do as an ally to God's mission. Our relational health and well-being with one another directly relates to whether or not we are able to participate with what God wants to do in the moment. This does not mean we have to be perfect, but we've got to remember the words of Jesus when he says this to his closest followers and friends, the disciples. He says, the world will know you by the way you love one another. Replay your last week, your last 48 hours. Are your actions, are your interactions with people demonstrating love or something else? My daughter wanted to have a sleepover on Friday, and I was like, there's no way you're having a sleepover on Friday, because sleepovers never mean sleep. They mean staying up all night, and then I can't sleep. (laughs) So we had this interaction with each other, and it was not going well. I pulled out the dad card. I said, well, I'm the dad, so you can't have this. A couple hours later, I'm texting my daughter going like, maybe you should invite your friend over for a sleepover because I'm an idiot. Sometimes we have those moments where we get in the way of what God wants to do because we refuse to pursue health in our relationships. And so I want to give you two tips of what we can do to model our lives, pattern our lives after Jonathan, to embrace the Jonathan effect and become an encourager in word and deed. If we do these things consistently, I believe God would move mountains when it comes to our relational health and well-being. The first is this. Encouragers see the vision through the fog encouragers see the vision through the fog. If you've ever been walking in a fog or driving in a fog, you know that seeing ahead is very extremely difficult. On May 1st this year, I'll celebrate being 22 years in vocational ministry. My first year in vocational ministry, I did just enough not to get fired because I didn't want to be a pastor. I was going to be a rock star. Y'all laugh, but just wait. It gets better. <laughs> I had a band. We were touring a little bit. We had won some, some like new artist kind of showcases. We were on the precipice of what I thought was stardom. Some of you are like, nah, come on, Jay. 
You, a rock star? Like, look at me. Come on. I fit the part. Do you all want to hear an audio clip? Yes. You do? Yes. All right. Remember, you asked for it. Okay? Here you go. No, you thought I was going to sing. No way. <laughs> Ain't going to do that. You got to pay me to hear that. We do. We do. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Very good. Well done. That was good. <laughs> well, if you happen to be here on January 1st, you would have heard me sing with the worship team. So if you weren't here on that day, you have to wait till the last Sunday of 2023. I'm scheduled once a year. I devoted my life to this whole music thing. I've got a binder of about 165 songs that have never been recorded before. I thought that's where I was headed. I was experiencing my, my tension that I think Jonah experienced, having a different picture of where I was going with my life than what Jesus had invited me into. And it wasn't like I was leaving my faith on the side. I still professed to be a follower of Christ. I still was moving towards those things. I still believed that I could do a lot of good through my art in that moment, but I was not embracing everything that God had in mind for me. There's many people in my lifetime that came into my life to kind of help and coach me. One guy in particular I'm going to highlight, which demonstrates this, encouragers see the vision through the fog, a guy named Matt. Matt went to battle for me at the board level and with the lead pastor just saying, hey, just give him a chance, give him a chance, give him a chance. All throughout that first year when the board and when the, the other staff are like, what is this dude even doing? What is he about? Like, he's just kind of like loose change. Let's let him go. But Matt saw something in me. He saw beyond the fog, the distractions. He was like, no, 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 no. I think that if we keep investing in him, I think he's going to turn a corner. I think that God's going to do something. And sure enough, it happened. And guess what? I'm still growing. And sometimes I'm still in the fog. And sometimes I still need encouragers to help me see the vision in the moment. This is exactly what Jonathan did with David. This is exactly what Jonathan did with David. Understanding the tensions and the pressures that he would have had in his relational tension with his dad, with his Jonathan's dad, with Saul, and he saw the vision. He saw God's hand and a, an appointment on David to the point where he was even willing to give up his right and his privilege as next in line for the throne because of his friend. This is why encouragement is so essentially important in all of our relationships. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable with words or not. You can encourage the people in your life through words and through actions. If you want to have relational health and well-being in your friendships, in your romantic relationships, in your neighborly relationships, in your classmate relationships, your coworkers, your extended family, you name it. We have to embrace this principle of seeing the vision through the fog. Seeing the potential of people. 
Now, here's the thing. We don't see it with our human eyes. We see it through divine sight. We can't see what we can't see on a human level, so we have to pray for wisdom and insight from God who created every living being. This is what it means when Jesus says to, says to us, pray for our enemies. When we have relational tension with somebody, it's an invitation for you to begin praying for that person. Why? Because we need to see the vision through the fog. When your teenager won't give you respect at home, guess what you have to do? Pray for the vision through the fog. When your now adult child will not leave your house, and go purchase their own. Not because they can't. They just won't. They're like invoking squatter rights or something like that. We have to pray for them. We have to see the vision through the fog. That person at work that always has something negative to say about you. That neighbor that refuses to turn down the music late at night. These tension points relationally are invitations for us to pray and to ask God for his divine insight so that we can see the vision through the fog. Otherwise, we're just going to bury them. And we're real good at doing that. There's a second principle from this interaction between David and Jonathan that is super helpful about encouragers. Encouragers are willing to risk their reputation for what is right. Encouragers are willing to risk their reputation for what is right. I shared with you a little bit of that first-year journey. We can go into long, long, longer conversations about the tension of what that could have looked like for Jason. But at the essential core of it is you had my friend Matt who risked his reputation for what was right. The same sort of expression you see with Jonathan who risked his reputation and position even with his own father for what was right. In that second chunk of verses from chapter 20, we, we see this intimate connection that Jonathan would have had with Saul going like, hey, he tells me everything, even the little things, all the battle plans. He's going to tell me of whether or not you are going to be a part of his plan to, to annihilate. He's in Saul's inner circle backing somebody who's going to threaten to take all of that from him. Here's where we get, where we get confused, though, on the word right. We, we use it as a synonym for preference all the time. And that's where the relational breakdown begins. Because preferences come and go. I used to refuse to eat taco salad, and now I enjoy it. Hmm. Weird. I preferred not to, now I prefer to eat it that way because it's easier to put together than a sloppy taco. You think about your own preferences. Maybe you didn't enjoy a certain color and now you really love to see it and you've painted the walls in your house that color. Maybe your opinion on throw pillows has changed. I don't know. I know mine has. Instead of annoying nuisance things, they're now weapons I can smack my kids with. It's amazing. <laughs> Especially when you get two of them like nunchucks. <laughs> so good. Encouragers risk their reputation for what is right. This is not in a political agenda. This is not some ideal that we believe everybody should think the way that we do. This is 
looking for what God is up to in the moment. This is about believing in people. See, Jonathan believed in David, not just what David was called to, but David as a person. So he risked his reputation for the safety and the well-being of his friend. And that's the invitation that you and I are given in, in learning to navigate all of the tensions that come relationally with people. This is exactly what Jesus does. He risks his reputation for us. Ludicrous. Craziest thing that he could have ever done. In fact, to the point where he actually gives up his life for us. That's the ultimate risk of reputation. Because that's what encouragers do. Sometimes our risk maybe isn't that big. Sometimes our risk is actually telling people what they mean to us. It's a risk. Because sometimes we don't know if our friends are going to approve of the fact that we're being kind to somebody that they're not kind to. We don't know as teenagers if it's cool to have a good relationship with your parents. It is, by the way. Super cool. We don't know if giving that teacher respect in the classroom is going to land well with the people around us. We don't know if following the policies and protocols that your workplace has put into place is actually a, a way to demonstrate not loyalty or selling out to the man, but a way of demonstrate hope and life and care. We don't know. But let's not confuse that right word with preference. And the only way that we can navigate that tension relationally is spending time with Jesus. Because then we're going to understand that some of the things that we care about actually don't matter from a kingdom perspective. You are welcome here at Sea Road, whether you are attracted to men or women or anything else. You are welcome here at Sea Road, whether you are living with somebody you're not married to or whether you are married. You are welcome here at Sea Road if you wear ripped jeans or if you wear a suit. You are welcome here if you wear a hat or if you don't wear a hat. If you've got hair, if you don't have hair. If you like pineapple on pizza, there's the door. <laughs> Because that's what's right. <laughs> we want to be a church family. We want to be a community that believes in people because we want to be known for the way we love and live like Jesus. We want to be focused on the things that his heart cares about, not about the extraneous things that just don't matter. We've got to get better at that. All we have to do is look throughout church history and see examples of atrocity after atrocity after atrocity. In the name of Jesus, no more. We just can't do it. We can't afford it. People are dying because they don't know that God loves them. Isn't that enough? Isn't that worth it? Risking our reputation because of them? Heck yes. And if it's not, then Sea Road isn't the place for you. If you're going to hang your hat on some of those things that you think really matter, it's not the place. 
You're not going to find a movement here that you can be a part of. If love isn't at the center of what you do, staff, paid staff, volunteer, whatever, it's just not the place. And I hope you hear my heart on this. We need to let Jesus guide us through what he's shown us and the way he's lived his life, through the truth that's in the Bible and through our experiences that point to him. So let's not let politics divide us or attire or preferences. Let's be known for the way that we love, for the way that we pursue unity. Let's be known for that. Part of that is disciplining ourselves to actually tell people when they matter to us. And so in these next few moments here today, we're going to have an opportunity to do just that. Some of you have a cellular device, so we use that to communicate with people. I want to invite you over these next few moments to pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, who in my life needs to know that they matter to me? Who in my life needs to know that they matter to me? And then when he starts flooding your, your, your mind with names, start writing text messages. Some of you are like, man, I don't bring my phone to church. I'm not that person. I wish everybody wouldn't bring their phone to church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the person that doesn't bring their phone to church, that might be their mindset. That's okay. So what we've done here is we've created a fun little encouragement card. The fine lines is on one side and blank space on the other side. And I've got stacks here, two at the front, and I've got one in the back at the balcony level. So balcony folks, you can still participate. You don't have to worry about coming all the way down here and grabbing one of these. Plus there's pens in these spaces. So if you want to write something to, you, to a person in your, in your relational sphere, you have that opportunity. You can do that. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Because sometimes what we'll do is we're like, okay, God's telling us to talk to that person or say something to them and whatever. And then we won't do it in the moment. And guess what? We've missed the opportunity to bless them and also have the blessing of participating with what God wants to do in that moment. The other reality is some people are in this space right here present with us who have impacted us in some way positively. I'm not talking about the ones that you're still frustrated with. I'm talking about the positive influences in your life. So what I want you to do is after I pray for you, go find that person right here, right now, and tell them. Don't wait till their funeral. Don't wait till they move away. Tell them now. Be an encourager. Partner with what God wants to do. See the vision through the fog. Risk your reputation of looking silly. Yes, I'm that guy. I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna walk in this space and go find somebody, and everybody's gonna see that I'm talking to somebody and be like, oh my goodness, they're having a conversation. So what? Maybe they're having a cool relational bonding moment, and maybe all the outsiders looking in on that are a little bit jealous because they wish they had the courage to do the very same thing. So let's find that courage that we need and participate in what God invites us into to be encouragers in all of the relationships that he's placed us in. Every single one. That's his expectation that we are going to add to it in a positive way, not detract from it negatively. 
And yes, adding positively means working through frictions and tensions, or how we've called it is navigating through all of life's relationships. So let's do that. Let me pray, and then let's start moving. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you love us beyond measure. I'm thankful that you can see the vision uh, through the fog that is the murky waters of our lives at times. I'm thankful that you never give up on us. I'm thankful personally for guys like Matt who saw something in me and never gave up and who risked his reputation so that I could keep growing. And I know that so many of us here are benefactors of that very same thing. So Jesus, I ask that we would have courage in these next moments. We want to start something different when it comes to relational health and well-being. We want to start by, by being a community that is completely real and transparent with what people mean to us and how they mean to us. Maybe it's something they've done. Maybe it's something they've said. And so I just pray, whether it's through a text message today, whether it's through an in-person conversation, whether it's through a written form, whether that's us viewing online or here in person, whatever that is, I pray that we'd have the courage to partner with your invitation. God, I have this sense that there's some people that are watching online that need to drive to somebody's house today. And so I pray that you give them courage to make that drive, however long that is, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or, or even beyond that. Maybe some of us need to make a video call with somebody that is around the world and we can't get on a plane to go spend time with them, but we can create space and time to let them know how much we value their friendship and, and encourage them in some way. God, we are desperate people in need of love from our creator, and sometimes that love is expressed through the people who choose to follow this creator. God, would you make us known as a people of love and not a people of pain? Would you make us known as a people of promise and not a people of despair? Would you reveal to us your transforming nature of taking our, pro our pain and our despair and transforming it to become life-giving oasis moments in our own life and in those that we come into relational contact with. May you bless us, protect us. May you be gracious to us. May you turn your face towards us, grant us your favor and your peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.